Welcome to the second season of The Sound of IR, a podcast that seeks to educate aspiring interventional radiologists about the clinical practice of IR. I'm Eric Winterholler, a third-year medical student at Western Michigan University, Homer Stryker, MD, School of Medicine. And I'm Adam Swirsky, a third-year medical student at the University of Miami Miller School of Medicine. We work with a great team of students, residents, and attendings using the power of podcasts to explore topics in interventional radiology. As the host of today's episode, we hope you find it both educational and enjoyable. This is part of an ongoing series on how to survive your fourth year of medical school. Today, we'll be discussing choosing away rotations and the VSLO system, formerly known as VSAS, and we'll have future episodes on applications, interview season, and the match. So, Eric, uh, what were your first impressions uh, on the conversation we had with Ben and Arena? I think we learned some really invaluable information. I, I've had a hard time approaching fourth-year scheduling, and it's been good to to listen to their advice, to their experience. They, having done three ways too, hearing their experience both from a regional perspective with Narina and then a very broad perspective with Ben was was great because I, I'm trying to figure out how I'm going to approach it moving forward and knowing how to exceed in these things and prepare even for ARIS applications going into September. I think uh, we really learned a lot today. How about you? What what do you think? I totally agree with you. I think that any rising fourth year medical students listening to this episode will really appreciate the variety of information that was provided by Ben and Arena and the different experiences they had. Um, and by that, I mean, we discuss everything from intricacies of scheduling and, and specific dates related to interviews and step two to, you know, some of the more direct questions that you might have about an away rotation. What kinds of procedures um, might you be able to do? How might you be able to assist? How can you help the team um, through other extraneous efforts, um, you know, to what, what it's like to travel around the country um, during the summer and deal with things like parking and living situations. I really think we got a ton of great material um, and it's going to answer a lot of questions for uh, rising fourth years at a pretty opportune time before we all have to start actually submitting um, applications to VSAS and and thinking about these next uh, few months. Definitely. I know you and I are both very excited for away rotations, and this was a a great preparation for us. For sure. So thanks again to uh, Ben and Narina, and without further ado, here's the episode. Joining us today are Ben Rausch and Narina DeSoma, fourth-year medical students who are nearing the end of their fourth-year journey with match weeks less than two weeks away. That's really close. <laughs> it's getting real. <laughs> Happy to be on with you guys. I'm so pleased to be here. Thanks for having us, guys. It's fun to have you guys on the other side of things. You know, you are, you've been integral members of the Sound of IR team on, on the interviewing side, but now to be an interviewee, how's that feel? It's kind of weird. <laughs> I mean, it's exciting. I Like uh, when we were off air, Narina was mentioning, there's a lot of things that we're excited to talk about and just to be on the other side of it and to be able to discuss what it was like during fourth year, we're really happy to impart any wisdom or, or the mistakes that we've made so you guys don't make them. <laughs> yeah, I, I agree completely, Ben. I feel almost not qualified to be interviewed, but I think there's always value to having what I call near peer um, advice. Those are things that we've gone to that gone through that are um, immediately close to what you'll be going through. So, you know, our advice is, uh, is, is worthwhile. <laughs> so the, the first thing I want to ask uh, you guys, and you might not have you know, a definite answer to this question as we sit here today um, with the match two weeks away and the algorithm already uh, having been run, as you mentioned. Um, so overall, first 
impressions and first thoughts about fourth year, the whole process from IR rotations to applications. Um, you've survived to this point. Um, how is the year essentially? Oh wow, that's a it's a big question. Um, so I, <laughs> um, I guess the biggest part of your fourth year is really um, putting your best foot forward, but also having that self reflection to figure out what you actually want. Um, I think we spend so much time like trying to be uh, the best version of ourselves during the application season and interviews and on our ways and all of that. That's so important. But I think what's even more important is figuring out what you value and, and where you see yourself um, and uh, what you want out of a program. I totally agree. It's, uh, it's funny because where you guys are now, I remember, you know, it was just a year ago and there's just so much to do. Like there's so many things to put together, so much application to write so many ways to go on. And then it, you jump right into interview season and then you get to this point, uh, you know, or, or a couple months uh, before where we're at now and you're, you're starting to self-reflect. And I, I wish I would have done more of that earlier on. Mind you, I enjoyed a, a lot of fourth year, especially before interview season started. Uh, I, my IR away rotations were some of my favorite parts of all of medical school. But, um, but yeah, just getting to that point where you realize, wow, the, the direction that I take this, you know, in, in my applications and in my interviews is the direction I'll be going with the rest of my career. So mm-hmm. there's a lot of weight to that, but there's also an exciting portion of that getting to know that, you know, you can make, you can set your priorities as you see them. I, I'm sitting down and just here, listening to you guys. I'm, it's, it's good to know that people have gone through this. And as I sit down and make my checklist of what to, what to do during this time to prepare, prepare for fourth year, I'm happy to have you as um, resources. This would be really great. Oh, thank you. Absolutely. So first off, when I sit down and I, I sit down on and look at the VSAS website and try and sort through things, look at programs, what were some of the resources you used to narrow down where you would do an away rotation? So for me, you know, as has been talked about at length on the podcast, you know, not having a uh, program, a radiology program where you and I go to school, Eric, makes it a little bit difficult, but I think what helped me was the networking I'd already done. Now, for a student who like maybe hasn't done that networking or has maybe only gone to like a symposium or two, I, th- there are a lot of really good resources. I think SIRs tried to do a lot with their website on different resources of how to approach away rotations in fourth year. And then VSAS itself, you know, has a lot of information on there, but I don't know what your experience was, Marina, but that at the time felt pretty overwhelming, just what all was on VSLO and and how um, complicated that was. Yeah, I agree. So my experience was probably a little bit different than most because I had a specific geographic area of interest. So I was very targeted with my VSAS application. applications. So I mostly just applied to a certain area. Um, and I applied to every institution that offered IR and DR electives in that within that area. Um, so for me, I didn't take a deep dive into all the extra resources, but I just, I just applied broadly in a specific area. That's definitely very interesting. And I think I'm going to get into um, some questions about, you know, how many places to apply to um, it's definitely a question that I have for later. Um, before getting into more questions about it, I wanted to say that the PR and Communications Committee of the Medical Student Council, um, thanks to Sarah Bennett, who's at Penn State, I believe, um, she wrote an, a great article that we published about a week ago on the RFS website um, about 
BSAS and VSLO um, and applying to away rotations. So we'll provide that link in the show notes as well. And uh, we can kind of go along with this. Um, so, so going to that, that question that I had, you know, when looking at, I think it's probably very common for a lot of third year medical students, IR or not IR, to look at, um, you know, your schedule for fourth year and you have to make your own schedule within your institution and the dates have to line up with the blocks at other institutions. And so you end up with these big holes in your schedule um, and kind of wondering how many places should I apply to for each block? Um, where should I, you know, can you guys kind of touch on the decision-making process um, and, and how you um, looked at the dates for things and, and, and things like that? Yeah, mm-hmm. that's a good question. So I, I know um, Noreena mentioned sort of her scope that she was looking at for applying. I applied a little more broadly, um, but I, I do think that that what you mentioned, Adam, was definitely an issue of trying to match up your blocks you know, at your school with away rotation blocks. And, and it's impossible to know how every medical student's uh, block system will be. But generally speaking, it's going to be a little bit complicated. Um, one thing that's important to recognize with the away rotations is that uh, unlike, you know, interviews, you're usually just offered like one time and not all of the away rotation offers come at the same time, right? So you, you could apply to an away rotation at, say, University of Michigan, but maybe University of Michigan offers you the month of July and they do it in, in like a month from now. But then a month after that, you could be offered the month of July by a different program, right? But you've already accepted at one place. And usually you can't just like sit on that forever. So it definitely makes it complicated. It makes it hard for students to decide like, okay, how do I apply to this? Because not everybody starts accepting or reading those applications at the same time. So Noreena, what did you do with that? Yeah. So I, just to put some numbers to it, so I applied to 10 different electives and a lot of them overlapped at the same institution um, for over different months, for example. So I applied for the months of August, September, and October. Um, And then during those months, I I applied to all the programs within like my geographic area of interest for those three months for every single radiology elective that they offered. (laughs) So I, you know, that, that was IR, that was DR, any subspecialty within DR, like body, MSK, breast, um, just because any opportunity that I had to, to get into that program and just to see what it was, what it was like. Um, so mm-hmm. that totaled to 10 um, applications, and I submitted all of those in April, if that helps just the timeline. Um, yeah. And then I heard back only from a few in May. So I immediately accepted them because I didn't know when I was going to hear from others, and I'm glad, yep. I'm glad that I did. Like, I accepted them immediately. And then I ended up doing three aways and I did those aways in the months of August, September. And I actually did an away in February as well, which is like a complete outlier. But I, I think um, August and September were great times. And, I, and even February was a good time too, because we were finalizing the rank list. So um, just speaking to the aligning it with my home medical school schedule it was a little bit difficult, but thankfully my med school is very flexible. I mean, I think every med school understands the importance of being able to do these ways. And there's ways that where you can do a two week elective at your home institution and kind of break if the blocks don't match yeah. up. Um, so don't be afraid to ask your deans if uh, for that, because there's a lot more flexibility within your uh, schedule than you might even realize. For sure. And talking specific numbers myself, 
Um, so I, I did three away rotations as well. My schedule and my school was a little bit off of what most uh, program schedules were. So I ended up doing something similar to what Narina said. I used, uh, but I used one week uh, blocks of vacation to sort of put me on the correct schedule for those institutions um, where I was doing aways. Um, and so I, I ended up doing aways in the months of, it was like mid June to mid July and then like end of July to end of August and end of August to middle of September, something like that. So I did three aways in, in those months. So all of my aways, I think I finished my last away like right the week that um, ERAS was due, like the application was due. Um, so wh- where I ended up going, I, I applied pretty broadly. Two of those I accepted through ESAS. And the last one was sort of a personal connection, which I can uh, touch on later that allowed me to get that one. But I applied, I think, to around the same number, to 10. They were all IR rotations. And yeah, so I ended up going kind of coast to coast for all of my away rotations. Uh, that That's perfect. It just made me uh, think of something. So just so you, everyone knows, I did two IR aways and then one breast imaging away. Um, and w- while I not necessarily interested in going into breast radiology. It was an amazing way to do because it's more procedurally oriented. Um, It's a great way for you to see the DR side. And I think it shows a lot of commitment if you have a particular institution that that you really want to go to, to show that commitment to the DR side. So uh, it's worthwhile. Great. Um, So I have a follow-up question to some, so you guys both kind of mentioned that you applied to 10 or so programs. Were there any programs that you had to um, deny an acceptance to and um, what kind of went into that decision and how you kind of broke that to them? Norina, did you have that experience? Um, no, actually. <laughs> no, I did. I did have that experience. So to get into a, a little bit of more of the details of what happened to me, I think I applied to all of mine at a similar time as Norina, like April, um, sometime in April. I can't remember exactly when. And um some of those that I did a ways at, um, I heard back from pretty quickly. I think uh, I, I ended up rotating at Kaiser, uh, which is probably well known because I've talked about it on the last episode with Dr. V. And I did that. That was my last away rotation in August to September. And then I also rotated at UC Irvine end of June and beginning of July. And that that was nice because my family lives in Orange County. So I was able to be uh, I, I took my kids, my wife and kids with me to Southern California and they stayed with my mom and, and I did as well and commuted from there. So I did those two and I had those two set up already and I had one month in the middle and I was kind of scrambling because I was like, what am I going to do for this month? Mind you, this is like not the normal. So I'm, I'm not, I'm not going to say to everyone, this is what's going to happen. But I ended up connecting, having this gap in my schedule and I connected with this assistant program director. And he was like, Hey, you know, we do have an away rotation here if you're interested. And I looked into it and I said, yeah. So I ended up getting that away rotation for that block. So then this all happened like mid, like early to mid May, everything was final finalized, I think. And then like three weeks later, I got uh, an acceptance to a fourth away rotation at IU, which I was really excited about, but two problems with that. One, my med school limits you to 12 weeks of away rotations. And two, Mm -hmm. my summer was totally booked. So even though they were willing to work with me and they were like, hey, you know, we'll find another time for you than the one they offered, I just didn't have the capacity in my schedule to do it or the allowance from my med school to be able to do it, you know? So that was my my experience, and I explained that to them. And I, I am of the opinion, and Noreen, I, I, you might feel the same way, once you've accepted an away rotation to, like, 
go back on that is probably a very bad look. Mm-hmm. And so that I did not do that. I, I kept the three aways I had. Um, and I had to say no to one away in retrospect, would I have loved to do a fourth month of IR? Of course. Right. Like if, if I could have done that, I would have, but that was not in my, uh, ability both because of my administration and also just time. Ben brings up a great point. Um, so it's really important from the very beginning for all of us to be creating a positive um, relationship with uh, any institution's uh, GME office, a graduate medical education. So, you know, this is part of establishing yourself as a professional, you know, as being able to um, have positive interactions and also maintain like good communication. So every, I'm sure every program understands if you have to back out of in a way, um, but doing that in the right way and doing it in a very professional way is really important. Um, and also not taking these acceptances lightly and just accepting them um, without really doing your due diligence. Like, oh, can I make this away? Yeah, make this away work. And um, just really putting a lot of thought into everything um, just in life <laughs> is really important. Um, mm-hmm. So that said, but also before I forget, I do want to talk a little bit about getting the away rotation. So we're, we're kind of operating under the assumption that if you apply through um, the visiting student um, website that you're going to get away offers. Um, like I was pretty stressed because I applied and I, I felt like I wasn't hearing back. Um, and so I should just uh, qualify that I, one of my ways, I, the reason I got it was because I met the program director at uh, SIR in LA. So I set that up with him kind of outside of the um, VSLO uh, system. Um, So that was an important connection, uh, similar to Ben's experience with one of his aways. And then um, one of my other aways, I met the PD at a residency fair. So we had already had some familiarity. And so I I think that might have facilitated that offer, even though it was through Vsauce. Um, She already kind of knew me. And so I was emailing her outside of Vsauce, just following up. Um, and then the third away that I got, I didn't get until after I had done my first two aways because uh, the program director at that institution knew the other PDs and asked about me. Um, and so that's how the third one got set up. So I think wow. it's worth it. <laughs> <Wow. laughs> yeah. There was some sort of like personal connection in all three of those scenarios. And I think that's that it just speaks to the importance of making yourself a part of this IR community early on and meeting mm-hmm. people and just integrating yourself as much as possible. And you know what I just realized, Marina? I was thinking about my other two. So my UC Irvine uh, away rotation that I did first, in October of my third year, I went to a IR student symposium in Southern California when I was visiting my family and met the program director there. And then my third one with Dr. V, I'd worked with Dr. V through SIR and talked to him at multiple conferences, you know, like most med students who talk to Dr. V. Um, And so I had already had that relationship and talked to him about wanting to come do that. So I'm in the same boat as Narina. All of mine were personal connections, you know, whether whether or not it was uh, V-Slow that got me there. Well, that really speaks to how how competitive and how important it is to be in the community, not just be a competitive applicant on paper. That's, I think, this is really valuable information. Definitely agree. Um, I, w- I want to take a step back, um, if we can, just in case there's a, a first or second year medical student listening to this right now. If you guys want to touch on, you know, why are we talking so much about away rotations? Why is it so important to do away rotations in IR? Um, this might seem obvious to a lot of 
um, listeners. Um, but if you guys can kind of speak to that. Yeah. Well, one, if you're a first or second year interest in IR, you've made a wonderful decision and this is the best field. <laughs> but second, the reason we talk about it so much is because getting involved in the field, like Narina was saying, is, is so important. And it shows that interest. Um, I was just texting with a friend who's an intern who's going to be an IR resident next year. And him and his group just uh, published something that's going to be at SIR about the predictors of successful match into the integrated IR residency. And what was found, uh, which you can see all this data, it's like the, the program director survey and charting outcomes and stuff is that one of the greatest predictors of matching in IR was determined by perceived commitment to the field, whether that's clinical experience or extracurricular involvement. So um, extracurricular involvement, you know, is the, the SIR medical student council stuff or RFS or your local student interest group or going to conferences. And then the clinical experience is your IR ways. If you are lucky, you might be at a place where you, during your surgery clerkship, you can do like a couple weeks of IR. I know some people that did like four weeks during third year, which is so cool. And I wish I could have done that. Mm. Um, but generally speaking, like for a lot of us, th these away rotations are our first true, true exposures to, to the field of IR. Wouldn't you say, Narina? Yeah, I agree completely. I mean, um, having them as early as possible really helps because, um, well, every program is so different. So your home, even if you have a home IR rotation, which I did, I know not everyone does, but so I did my home IR rotation. So I felt like I really got my feet wet and I really, I learned a lot about IR and then jumped into these aways and everything was so different. So just having that perspective is so important before interview season, just understanding how different IR programs are different and really being able to speak about some things that you're hoping in a program that might be different um, is, is really valuable. I totally agree, Maria. One other thing from that um, project that I failed to mention, apparently only 33% of U.S. med schools offer radiology rotations to their own students. Um, that's another statistic wow. that came out of that, which is crazy because it's like, oh, of course, that's going to limit exposure, right? Yes. Um, so, so these are the, your opportunities to get that exposure to show that commitment to the field. Yes, great points. Other other helpful things, getting letters of recommendation is really helpful from these aways, especially if you're going to um, an away at a program that you're really interested in or in a region that you're really interested in. Those IRs are going to be well known in that community. Um, so having one of them write you a letter is great. Um, and then I think why are aways important? I mean, especially in my case, like targeting an area where you want to be. Um, like I, I know there's some amazing programs out there where you could do a ways and get letters from extremely prominent people in the community. But there's definitely also something to be said for going to a program where you just really want to be there. Um, yep. And that's really your interview. So um, yeah. I'm sure you guys are going to ask some more pointed questions about that as well. But I agree with that, everything Narina just said. Yeah, I think something Narina just said really stuck out to me that an away rotation is in a way just kind of a, a, an extended interview there. You're, you're being evaluated the whole time. Yeah. It's the, what there's the other name for it, the acting internship or whatever. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, th that's the entire point of it is, but at the same time, it's their opportunity to show you what it's like, right? It's, it's a two way street and it's your opportunity to make sure this is the field you want to go into, right? If you, you might think IR is the coolest thing ever, and, you know, the tips is so cool. And like mm -hmm. these complex things are cool. And then you get on your IR away rotation and maybe you don't like the day to day. 
right? Mm -hmm. So hopefully you figured it out before then, but that is a great opportunity to just, (laughs) one, for you to be sure that this is what you want to go into and for you to present yourself as well. Yes. Well said. I'd like to shift gears just a little bit and talk about your approach to the application for away rotations. So VSLO has different requirements that are kind of universal for programs, whereas other programs are more specific in what they want, including some want an essay or letters of recommendation. Mm -hmm. Did you run into that with any of the programs you applied to? Yes. So I had to do a lot of, get a lot of documents filled out for my ways. So I had to have um, update vaccinations. I had to have titers. Um, there were, there was even a special form. Like I know there was a standardized form, but there was a, for one of the programs that I was applying to, there was a special form just for that institution. So I had to make sure that I brought that to the doctor's office in addition to the standardized one and have them sign it. So you really have to do your homework. Um, and each program releases their application at different times and they have different deadlines. So just being in tune with that is really important. Um, and then I also had to have letters of recommendation. I had to have a personal statement. Um, so Gigi, you need to get on it. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Um, those who know me well know that I can be a little like neurotic in planning ahead of time. So it, I've had like a spreadsheet of programs for like two or three years based off of the one that I'm sure we'll discuss in a little bit. But um, on top of that, uh, like Marina was saying, some, some programs don't publish that information right away of what's required. So there's two things you can do. One, you can go back on the internet and look on sites like Student Doctor Network or um, or, or other places that, that people talk about, like what's required for different ways at different places. And two, sometimes you can see the previous year's stuff. Uh, I can't remember if it's in VSLO that you can do that before it's published or just on people's websites. They'll talk about what's, you know, what's necessary. And then you can also just like email and ask and say, Hey, I'm really uh, hoping to come, you know, do an away rotation here. I want to be sure of what's required. Mind you, the third option is probably the least good uh, because you don't want to be doing that at a lot of places uh, sight unseen, you know, Uh, they don't know you, you don't know them that that doesn't always come off well. So, um, so, so yeah, I, I do think that there's some ways to try and prepare yourself ahead of time, but just you have to recognize you're going to have to put in a lot of work, uh, just busy work. And there is some benefit, though. I don't know, Noreen, if you felt like this, like some of those like short personal statements or like essays were things that like were the building blocks for my ERAS personal statement later, you know? Absolutely. Um, so, so like there's some good to that. Like as terrible as it is to start thinking about writing your ERS personal statement already, like you can take some of these little things you have to write and, and apply them to that later. That's absolutely correct. I definitely built off of my, I mean, they called it a personal statement, which is what I had to submit uh, through uh, VSAS, but um, I definitely use that as my personal statement for ERAS, uh, much improved, but yeah. Exactly. And Norena mentioned letters. Um, so yes, I think there was a couple where I had to submit letters as well. One experience I had, we were talking about M1s and M2s. So my medical school, and I believe Eric, you also did this, mm. allowed for one week little like electives, clinical electives during the first two years. My early exposure to IR was through spending a week at University of Michigan doing like an IR away rotation as like an early second year. So because of that, I had made a connection and had a letter from Dr. Kyle Cooper, which I used for a few of my away rotations. Um, so when talking about um, away rotations, um, you, you guys have kind of mentioned uh, the months and 
there are certain deadlines um, and um, dates that I have, you know, circled on my calendar for, for 2020, but I'm imagining that for 2019, you guys obviously have the same um, things blocked off. So for example, ERAS will be due um, for third years going in the fourth year will be due September 15th. Um, we hear a lot of, we've heard about, um, you know, October 1st might be this absolute deadline to get letters in um, things like that. So can you talk a little bit about scheduling and, and doing away rotations um, in combination with preparing for um, for ERAS and, and if that impacted, um, you know, your, your time spent on away rotations doing the application? So I did away since August and September and ERAS was released in mid-September. So I didn't personally have any issues um, finalizing my application during that time. I, I did um, make a personal deadline for myself to have most of it already done before I went away, um, just because I didn't know if I was going to be working weekends or not. And luckily, they didn't have me come in for the weekends, so I was able to tweak things on the weekends. Um, so that was, that was nice. I personally didn't have any issues. One of those aways was IR and the other was breast uh, imaging. So the breast imaging away was a lot, um, less demanding just in terms of time. So, um, it worked out for me. Yeah. My, my experience with that was similar. Um, I, I did a lot of it earlier on before the, the even before like May, just cause I knew, okay, I need to get my like personal statement together, at least like a good draft that I can revise throughout the summer. And then sort of like the, the rest of the application, which we can discuss later, um, the other parts I'd worked on some as well. Um, the one, and so, so I had a similar experience to Narina with that. The one thing that is affected is whether or not you're wanting to get letters from certain programs while on a ways, right? So I, I personally feel like it's obviously a lot easier timing wise to get letters earlier in the summer. Um, for a couple of reasons. One, not everyone asks that early. And so, uh, you know, if you're asking like, I don't know, like early September, hoping to get a uh, letter like in pretty fast, um, you're going to be like one of many, obviously. You're going right. to be one of many anyway, but but also like that's going to be like a, a much shorter experience. So my example of that is um, while I was at Kaiser, I, I already had a, a letter set up. Like I wasn't like dying for letters, but I, I'd known Dr. V for a long time and I was thinking of getting in a, a letter from him, but I knew how busy he was cause I was seeing him every day and I didn't like need another IR letter. And it was, I was only halfway through my, um, through my rotation when, uh, applications were due. So I, I just told him, I was like, Hey, you know, I, I know we know each other well and I, I, w- I would have you do a letter but just timing wise, I figured it's not going to work. So that was more of a me issue. Like if I was really wanting a letter from Dr. V, I felt like I would have needed to do an earlier away rotation to have more experience, like my full four weeks with him, if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's a good point. I had one of the attendings from my August away write me a letter and he was very timely about it. Um, So I was grateful for that. Um, So I was able to use that letter. Um, I'm trying to think if, for my September away, I don't think it would have been feasible for me to get a letter from any of those attendings because, you know, they've only really seen you work for maybe even not even full two weeks by the time that application is due. Yeah. I mean, if you really want a letter from, from a particular or a program, having that in August, I think is the latest that you would be able to do it. 
Yeah, that, that makes that makes a lot of sense. So another question I had that's kind of related. I want to know when each of your first interviews were and chance that medical students like myself are considering doing an away rotation late September, early October. What do you think about those? So for interviews, I'm looking back at my calendar right now to see when my first one was. Do you remember off the top of your head, Narina? Yes. So I I have my calendar in front of me too. Um, (laughs) My my first interview was October 5th. um, And I also, I tried to uh, make a light October for myself because I had a a mandatory rotation back at my home school. But I still, I had one... I had six interviews in the month of October and that was light. Wow. So, you know, it's a busy month. You know, people told me that you weren't going to get interviews until later. Like radiology mm. doesn't get around to it later. That is not true. <laughs> totally agree. <laughs> like, yeah. I was not anticipating the, you know, you might not, you don't hear immediately after you submit ERAS, but they're going to come in and you're going to have interviews in October. So consider it. Yeah, I was on a rotation in October that like there was no way for me to be able to do interviews for the first part of October. Um, mm-hmm. and, but so I, I, I pushed some of mine back as much as I could. Mind you, for IR, you're not normally offered very many dates at a time at many places, right? So mm-hmm. um, I my first one was October 29th. But then between that date and... I think the, like in the next like two weeks, I think I went on like eight or nine interviews. So it was just like an insane, like two week block because I had to push stuff back um, Mm -hmm. and and sort of compact that time. Um, So, so, so to answer your question, yes, October 29th was my first. Um, I I had offers that I could have done earlier dates though. So as Narina said, the like old saying of like of radiology being later is not the case, um, at least in in our experience and also the experience of all the people that were interviewing on the same days as us, right? So, so there's that. Yeah, because you know, looking at the schedules for you know a lot of pro, you know a lot of programs do happen to be on the same blocks. You know, from the information that you can get from messaging other medical students at other schools and finding out block schedules, there's a block that ends October 18th, and I'm sure a lot of people will want to do a rotation from kind of mid-October situation. So it's good to hear that you were able to kind of push some interviews back and start them in the later part of October if needed. Yeah, I think that was nice. Invaluable too to approach fourth year scheduling with that in mind, knowing that interviews are going to be earlier and continuous throughout October, November, or December kind of thing. So knowing when to schedule required rotations and knowing when to end them. Yeah, I, I don't um, think you'll have an issue doing a inter, uh, doing it away in October. Just keep in mind you may have to take uh, days off to go on uh, interviews. Yeah, sure. So one other question I had in in terms of scheduling and dates and fourth year requirements, um, and I don't want to get too much into this because I know it's it's got its whole conversation itself. Um, but step two, taking step two, both CS and CK. Um, I know there's probably a lot of flexibility in that from different med schools and, and what they recommend at your home institution. Um, but I was just kind of wondering how you guys um, incorporated that into your fourth year schedules with the ways and interviews and such. Yeah, I did CK early. I, I did it before my first uh, away rotation, just with my school schedule. And I, I took a couple of weeks to do that. Uh, so it just worked out best to do CK early. I did CS later. I actually did CS. Um, I think like late October, just the date that I got, but it worked out well because 
it was after I finished my like very mandatory one month block where I couldn't miss any days. It was right before I went on a bunch of interviews. So, mm-hmm. yeah, no, I'm so glad you brought up brought this up because I think. Um, uh, CK and CS can be very stressful depending on where you schedule when you schedule it. So I right. took CK um, right away after my M3 uh, core rotations were done. So I think that was in June. And then I took CS August 17th. I took CK during, you know, uh, not on aways. And then I took CS actually dur- during one of my aways. And I didn't have any problems uh, preparing for CS and taking it during the away. I would definitely recommend taking it as early as possible because the last thing you want to do is be stressing about that during interview season. Um, yeah. It was just a huge weight off my shoulders. And, and then I got my scores back in plenty of time to know that everything was good. Um, uh, I know some people that have uh, failed CS, and uh, Whoa, that's really? the last thing you want to worry about is having to reach it and to right. f- uh, worry about all that scheduling. So just take it as early as I think take it as early as possible. I know some people strategize about CK like, oh, I got a really high step one and I don't want programs to see step two until after I apply because I don't, if, what if I drop, blah, blah, blah. My advice for that is they're going to see it eventually. Um, they need, I, I'm pretty sure they need that score to, uh, to rank you. Yes. I mean, as my perspective on it all was like, you know, just study hard and do well. They're going to need it eventually. So just do it. And uh, I, everybody's score is going to go up because you've learned so much during M3 year and you're going to, you're going to put the effort into it. So, um, yeah. I agree. What you did where you took your CS on and away, I actually was hoping to take it a little earlier than October. And, you know, depending on when you can register through your school and stuff, I can understand that some people can't get those early dates for CS. Mm -hmm. But one thing that you can do is you can watch for like the week before um, the dates and there'll be some openings in each of the places. So when I was in Delaware doing it away, I was watching for a Philadelphia um, spot to open, but I was there with my family. And then I just decided, you know what, I'm okay with my October date. It's going to be fine. And I ended up doing that instead. But, but that idea is a good one to sort of, um, you know, if you have a later one, but you want to take it earlier, you can always watch for those like last minute openings if you're close to that region and don't want to fly across the country. Yeah, great advice for sure. Um, I'd like to touch on your approach to an away rotation. Say you have it all lined up, everything's scheduled. What are some things you did leading up to and then during the rotation that you feel were especially valuable that really set you apart as an applicant? Uh, Just in terms of preparing for the away, I I have the IR playbook, which I'm sure you've all heard of, um, an amazing textbook. Um, And I really found that valuable just to help refresh on some of the basic principles and uh, indications, contraindications for different procedures. so I just try to do as much reading as possible um, and get to know uh, maybe some of the research interests of some of the attendings. I've heard of the IR playbook, and it's glad it's good to know that people are using that. And that it's it's good. Yeah, I I wish I would have been able to get it. I was trying to get it through my school and then didn't, and I should have just uh, ponied up the money to to buy it. But I agree. I think th- those textbooks are good. Um, there's other ones like IR playbook, but basically knowing what the general procedures are going in is a very good idea. Um, and there's a piece of advice that I know, Eric, you might bring up um, that was relayed to us on Twitter that I had heard before, 
weirticians as well, which is not just know the how of um, of like how procedures are done, the steps, the equipment, but also the why. Um, you know, know the clinical indications as well, which usually those playbooks uh, or those textbooks are pretty good at going into as well. So just really knowing as much of that as you can ahead of time is not a bad idea. Um, also, I think another thing that can actually really help is if you have the chance to go any, to any of the like symposia um, or to you know the, the national conference SIR, um, take the time to work with the devices like that the brand reps bring and like just get the feel for like what different catheters feel like and what different wires feel like and what it's like to you know move a wire through a simulator because that actually really does help when you do get the chance to assist or to you know be in those situations. Um, to not just feel like totally lost at the, at the table that at least that's how I felt. Okay. Awesome. Absolutely. And, and in that vein, I think doing a home IR rotation, if you have that opportunity is very helpful. I mean, I rolled into my first away having some basic, uh, understanding of how things worked and, and that was so helpful, just handling wires and filling up syringes and all that stuff. Um, so preparing for in a way is one question, but you can only prepare so much. And so the most important thing I think is personality and your work ethic. Of course, your knowledge is extremely important and just showing that initiative that you to look up things and research things, but knowledge can be taught, um, but your personality and your work ethic are, are more stable attributes. And so I think the, the ability to work well with everyone, attendings, fellows, residents, and the staff is so important. And um, just that hard work ethic, like being the first there, the last to leave, these are things everyone knows, but I just feel like I need to say. And then asking the why, like Ben was saying, you know, for even for simple procedures, like why is this patient here for a G-tube? You need to know. And uh, let's see, uh, integrating yourself into the team. So being as active a member of the patient care as possible, um, like making phone calls, just doing things like that. And then also while you're there, potentially getting involved in some research would be ideal. Yeah, that's definitely probably the hardest one, I think, depending on the way and the situation. But I do agree, like doing research with a group is always really helpful. But I liked your point about integrating yourself with the team, because like, like Narina said, a lot of things you can learn on an away rotation and you can be taught by attendings. But I also really felt like there was so much to learn from the IR techs. Like I think my first two rotations, I spent a lot of time with the techs learning how to run the back table. Um, and, and by the time I got to the end of my second IR away rotation, I felt very comfortable running the back table on most procedures just because the techs, you know, I showed interest in what they were doing not just like, hey, hand me this catheter. I want to help this attending. More like, okay, why do you do this? Why do you do it that way? And and they, you know, that's what they do day in and day out. That you know, they they don't necessarily have the other responsibilities that attendings do to you know manage the patients on the floor. Their job is to make sure things run smoothly in the in the IR suite. And so they're such a valuable resource to learning you know how things work in IR in the suite. Definitely. And knowing that workflow seems really important to knowing as they prepare instruments and, and tools and things and how throughout a procedure, knowing how that all flows and is integrated is really important, it seems. You guys both kind of mentioned this a little, so it, it's really cool to hear, you know, if you want to talk about it a little bit more, how did you see your, your physical skills um, improve over the summer? 
Uh, that's a good question. I definitely, there were some procedures, for example, doing a central line. Those are great procedures for a medical student to really master. And at the beginning of my home IR rotation, I was so nervous and, mm-hmm. you know, just every step of that procedure is like anxiety provoking because you don't want to mess it up. Yeah. And then it, it's amazing how much you learn. And by the end of it, I mean, at my home institution, they let medical students uh, do that procedure. So I, we were doing <laughs> that procedure, no problem. Uh, the fellow next to us. So it's just amazing how much you learn and you'll surprise yourself. And, you know, para, paracentesis and thoracentesis are um, great procedures for medical student to <laughs> just take over and do. Um, and so you'll gain so much confidence and it's so inspiring just to, I, I know that there are minor procedures, but it's so fun to do. Yeah. And I totally agree, Narina. Like, uh, you know, you might end up on an away rotation where there's a lot of students or a lot of trainees. And you might not be the medical student that's helping with their first IVC filter removal, you know, in your first month, you know what I mean? You might not be like that cowboy all-star, but like, you know, getting to do central lines is like, so no pun intended central to, to, to what IR is. And like, if you can learn how to do that, well, that's something you can do as a, as a, as a fourth year and learn how to do pretty well, you know, more or less. And, same with with your paracentesis and stuff like that. So I agree with Narina completely. That was my experience. On my first IR away rotation, there was a few students at the same time. And I, I often, after the first couple of weeks, would just defer to others to go into the big cases. Mm-hmm. And, you know, because they, they were showing like, they really wanted to jump into those. And I was like, that's okay. I'll just go with this fellow and have them teach me how to do a port or to do, you know, a central line. And like, so I could get good at like IJ okay. access, right? Like, which is scary. Like the first time you, you actually do it yourself, uh, yeah. you know, you're poking into someone's jugular vein. So, <laughs> but like Narina said, it's very satisfying to recognize that those are skills you can gain. And, and like she said, like by the end of the summer, I felt very comfortable, you know, by the time I got to my third away and even after mm-hmm. like, uh, like, Oh, okay. These are things I can do. Mm-hmm. And so that, you know, hopefully, you know, by the time I get on my intern year and in my first years of radiology, those skills won't have completely deteriorated. Yeah. And growth is really uh, what any attending is looking for in a medical student is the ability to grow and learn and being teachable. And so even if you're not good at doing whatever, you know, by the end of that rotation, if you are excelling at that and they see that you put in that work, that's great. Okay. On an away rotation, what is the role of the medical student? What were you able to do to contribute to the team? I think that's a good question. So Narina, I don't know what your experience was, but I think it can be slightly different at every away rotation. Did you feel that way? Yeah, absolutely. It depends on, it, of course, it depends on the uh, how many learners there are, for example, like how many fellows, how many residents and uh, that are on that month, but it varies. Uh, what's, what's your experience been, been more specifically? Yeah, so each of my away rotations was a little different. And I think like what you just mentioned, Narina, is something I've talked to, to you, Eric, about in the past is like, I feel like there's like this magic like ratio of like IR suites to attendings to trainees to students. Like, and there's certain places or certain times of the year where that ratio is like perfect for a student learner, you know, where like you can have any opportunity to be in like almost any case and be assisting in those. And then there's other times where, or other places where maybe it's not like that, right? Maybe there's a bunch of students and a bunch of trainees and you're going to have and there's not as many like IR suites or whatever. Um, so you might not have as many opportunities. But I think specifically, some of the places I rotated at, you'd be assisting on 
uh, on almost, you, you'd be at the table at every single procedure you walked into. Not obviously the first assist on every single one, but sometimes it would be you, just you and the fellow, and the attending would be outside of the room for most of it. Um, which which is an awesome experience. Sometimes there's another trainee, like a junior resident with the fellow, and then you might be the third person at the table or at the back table, depending on the institution. I think both of those are good learning experiences. Like we mentioned before, learning how to run the back table is a very useful thing, and you can feel like a good part of the team when you do that. Is that how you felt, Marina, on yours? Yeah, absolutely. Um, there was a lot of variety depending on where, which uh, institution I was at, but um, definitely managing the back table is a great role for medical students. Uh, some institutions, the techs will stay scrubbed in for the entire procedure and they, they will do that. Uh, other places that the techs will don't stay scrubbed in or they'll just scrub out and let you manage the back yeah, table. Yeah. Um, and that's ideal actually, because uh, it's, it's awesome to learn from them, but it's also nice to... Um, have the opportunity to show what you've learned to the attending and be able to manage the wires and the catheters and set up the ports and all that. Um, so managing the back table, um, just more like specific things that I was able to do. Um, paras and thoras, uh, I think uh, you should be able to do as a medical student from start to finish. Um, of course, you need to, it needs to be graduated. You have to show them that, <laughs> that you can that you can uh, do basic things before they're going to let you do minor procedures. Yeah. Exactly. Suturing was something that I was frequently allowed to do. For example, suturing uh, the port site, um, um, securing tubes like PCN tubes, percutaneous nephrostomy tubes. So securing those into place, uh, dressing those. Uh, those are those were things I was frequently able to do. Ports and central lines were also uh, things that I was able to do. Either whether it be portions of that procedure, like doing the tunneling portion or getting the access, or what. Uh, or even from start to finish, depending on how busy they were that day and which fellow I was with. Um, so those, those are all realistic things that you could be doing. For sure. Yeah, I agree. The, um, my list was very similar of the things that I was able to do. And like Norena said, it's like a graduating process. And also recognize that you might be at a, in a way where you, by the end you're doing those things and you might go somewhere else and you're not able to do those, whether that's because of what's allowed of students or you know, the familiarity or the way they do them is different, right? Like you might go there and you need to recognize the first day, like you probably can't approach everything the way you did at one institution that you can at another Mm -hmm. Um, because things, they might do procedures differently. And like, uh, I know like when I was at Kaiser, um, students were able to be very involved and to some extent do uh, TASIS like pretty extensively. But obviously, if you go do in a way at Kaiser, you can't expect to go to your next way and be like, oh, I'll do this taste. Yeah. You know, like that's, that's not very realistic and very dependent on where, where you're at. You know, a lot of the things that you get opportunities to do is as a first assist. So like you might not be the one doing peripheral arterial disease, like an angioplasty mm-hmm. of an artery. But like you could be the one inflating the balloon or you could be the one like pushing coils on the pseudoaneurysm embolization. Like, yes, you know, like you, you're, you get to be there. If you show that initiative, often you'll get to be involved in some way. And, and some attendings will like be very hands off with the senior trainee or the fellow and allow them to be running things. And that yeah, will allow great. some of those fellows to let you be involved. And sometimes that's not the case. And that's OK. There's still things to be learned like um, one way or the other. Oh, just talking about this stuff is getting me really excited. <laughs> I know. It's pretty cool. Like the first time like you push your coil, it's like such a cool <laughs> to like look and be like, oh my gosh, that piece of metal is in their body. And I put it there, you know. Uh, 
but but even the basic stuff like wow i just like i pulled off you know five liters of fluid out of this woman's or this person's abdomen and, and uh how cool is that you know? right i spent some time shattering at different different schools and institutions in ir and everywhere does have that different flavor and when i when i was there as well at these different places as well i noticed that med students would accompany the residents in resident programming things like lectures um, can you speak to how your time was spent outside the IR suite on away rotations? That's a great question. It depends. At one away, I did um, anything that the residents did. So if there was a lecture, I attended that. I thought that was so helpful. And then on another away, actually, when the residents had lectures, I chose to stay in IR because I knew that all the trainees were going to be gone. So I got to do more because they were gone. So, I mean, it goes both ways. It's very valuable to have those lectures and to just have that experience. It gives you a feel for the didactics at that institution and uh, kind of where the residents are at. But then on the flip side, it's also nice to take advantage of those lecture hours to maybe spend one-on-one time with an attending without a resident there. So it's fluid, I think. Totally. My experience was similar. You know, at certain places, the expectations of the students were to be involved in every lecture, to be involved, you know, in, in those conferences and others, um, that wasn't the expectation. So I think early on, figuring out what the expectations of you is good. And I do agree, like those moments, like where like the DR residents that are on IR are at their lectures. And if you're not expected to be there, they're more than happy for you to help out while they're doing that. And that actually brings up a good point of like, knowing the 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 way the the service runs period you know like okay here are the ir fellows and these are the esir residents and these are like at some places you have surgical interns and then there's the students and you know the mid-level providers and the attendings right so there's like this whole organization and figuring out where you fit is important and at some places like if there's dr residents who are on ir not all of them want to be super involved in the procedures or want to be in the big procedures so that could give you more opportunities but i do think it's important to integrate yourself well and communicate with those residents be like i'm here because i'm interested in ir you know, are there things I can do to make your life easier? Are there cases I can go and do that would save you time? Instead of just being like the student that wants to jump into everything and step on people's toes, or even if there are people that don't want to be in all the IR procedures, you can just approach them beforehand and say like, hey, you know, how, what role do you want me to play and how can I be both helpful and maximize my learning opportunities? That's exactly true, Ben. And you brought up some some great points. Like one thing in particular that I think is really important is the what you said about um, uh, eliciting expectations. That's something that's a really important skill every medical student should have. If and not even after medical school too, but um, the first day, uh, making sure you elicit those expectations from whoever's in charge of you or from multiple people, because that is really the crux of um, how you're going to be evaluated and how they're going to see you is what are their expectations of you so that you have to know that going into it. And then you can, you can um, make uh, make decisions around that. So um, eliciting the expectations is, is a really positive attribute to have. Like it, it reflects really highly on you on the fact that you were even able to ask that question uh, and have that one, that conversation early on. So for sure. And one thing to recognize too is the variability of the service during different times of year. Mm-hmm. So my first rotation I did was uh, mid-June to mid-July. So I saw outgoing fellows And then I saw incoming fellows, right? And so um, I was able to be there to see both Mm -hmm. of those experiences and uh, like kind of help out the service to change over in those times um, in in my own very limited fashion. You know, it's not like I was like 
doing procedures or anything, but just knowing like the workflow and, and how to help was important. And so that's an important thing to think about, about when you're doing away rotations, because there is some benefit if possible of doing like a June away rotation, because you'll have fellows that are like about to leave and they're very experienced and very willing to allow you to be very involved versus a July rotation where you might have brand new fellows that are new to the institution and don't, you know, and don't know all their attendings yet. And they might not, and reasonably so, they might not allow you or, or you might not has, have as many opportunities to be involved in cases or to do other things. Um, so that, that isn't exactly what you asked, but I think that's an important um, thing to think about as well. I think a lot, a lot of great points were made there. And kind of a related question, we touched on it a bit earlier. I think Narina might have mentioned, you know, the extraneous um, parts of being just, you know, a good med student, the things, kind of things you learn on internal medicine and surgery, um, expediting things for your patients. So to what extent did you guys get um, integrated into, say, you know, the EMR? Um, to what extent were you on the floors in the hospital, visiting patients, pre-rounding on them, knowing, you know, their blood pressures, their barriers to discharge, um, et cetera? So I rounded every morning on my patients. So anybody, obviously, that I saw the procedure the day before, I would round on. And I, it was it was like regular medicine flow. So like I did my pre-rounding um, before the fellow got there. I saw the patient on my own. Usually, you know, maybe on the first day, you'll see that your patient with the fellow because you, you don't know which patients to see yet or on the second day or whatever. Um, usually the first day is just like orientation. Then the second day you see patients with the fellow and then you kind of start seeing them on your own. And then you present, uh, I would say it's appropriate to present between two to three patients a day and having all, you know, the SOAP format and then understanding everything about that patient's care is really important. Updates from the primary team, um, when they're going to be discharged, everything, you know? And then in terms of note writing, that was very dependent on the institution and the fellow even. Like some fellows were like, oh, don't write the note. And then other fellows were like, yeah, can you write the note and co-sign me? And then that'll be the note for the patient. So just asking that, mm-hmm. it's, it's fun actually to write the note. No people are going to read it. <laughs> um, so mm-hmm. uh, I often made phone calls uh, just to figure out care, you know, work with the scheduling team to get that patient scheduled uh, uh, for a procedure that day or what have you. So there's lots of things that you can do uh, that, that really integrate you in a patient care. For sure. I think that sort of workflow that Marina mentioned was common on a couple of my rotations. Sure. And then on some of them, that's not always how it works in the morning. You know, are they doing like a morning sort of rounds or not? Or, or however it works. So again, like Narina said at the beginning, eliciting those expectations early and recognizing, okay, this is going to be my flow. And sometimes uh, that's something you can do if you know who was rotating the month before. Sometimes like, at, for example, at Kaiser, mm-hmm. I know Dr. V has one of the students make an effort to email the incoming rotators, basically some documents that previous medical students put together of like what the flow will be like, what it is you're going to be doing, what the expectations are which is very nice, but that's not common to every single place. But beyond the morning rounds and pre-rounds and that sort of thing, at some places you can be very involved in consults, which I think is really helpful, to be honest with you. Like I think at some of these rotations, you're not going to be the only student there. And there might be a system in place in which consults are done. So at a couple of mine, I'd spend like a week mainly doing consults or add-on procedures. And I like that because you're learning like what brings people to IR 
And that's an area where you can actually be really helpful because you do all the charting and, and figuring everything out and working up the console and then you bring it to the fellow or the attending. And that's a place where you can see growth and also recognize like you're not going to be perfect at that. Right. And that's okay. Like it's a learning experience for you and you're not expected to be perfect. You're expected to just to learn and to be coachable. Right. So, but those uh, consults for me were some of my favorite parts of working in IR because you have more time than the fellow does just out of situation to like learn about these patients, just like it is on your surgery clerkships or, or whatnot. Ben, I think that's amazing. Uh, I personally didn't have the opportunity to manage a consult, and I, I wish I did. And maybe that's something I should have asked to do in retrospect. So I'm glad you brought it up because understanding when to do a procedure, when to intervene is a, a skill. But um, so that is really something special that maybe you guys can all consider when you go to your aways. Yeah. And I think there's different places that might give you more opportunities than others to do that. I'm listening to you guys talking about your experiences, and I can't even imagine what another hospital outside of Miami even looks like, let alone how it runs and how their IR service runs. So every every single bit of information is golden. So uh, I think it's been really great so far. Yeah, and all of us are you know, anxiously awaiting when we can arrive to a hospital and know what to expect and how yeah. to set goals and what to do to exceed. So this is, I think this is very valuable. So we've talked a lot about the positives of uh, away rotations. So what were, what were some of the more difficult, challenging experiences that you guys have had? So there's like the financial part of that, which we can touch on later, but of the actual away rotation. I don't know about you, Narina, but like just becoming comfortable in the chaos of always being lost in a hospital <laughs> is something that was like so hard. And you just have to go in knowing like, I'm going to get lost in a stairwell often like this <laughs> and I'm like there's nothing I can do about it because um, it happened at every hospital I was at I just get totally lost and you have to ask someone for directions or even like getting in and out in the mornings like there'd be times where like we're in the evenings I just like go out the wrong way and be like I don't know where I am like I can fit, figure out where to go so yeah that that was hard <laughs> Oh, I've had so many um, like security guards help me find my way. <laughs> like, yes. uh, excuse me, where's this building? Oh, uh, yeah. Oh, and get, making sure you have like a working badge. Like that is so oh. important. And like when, it, when you don't have a working badge, like you also got to realize like these things are going to happen to you and just communicating it to everyone in the group and like recognizing like there are some things you can't control and be like, Hey, I'm so sorry. This is what happened. And people understand, like you're brand new at that institution. That's definitely very difficult. Narina, what else do you feel like was difficult? Uh, just something to keep in mind is that every program has varying levels of orientation. <laughs> yes. So some programs yeah. are going to be really great about like having a, an hour with you, giving you the lowdown, um, making sure you have your ID, that you have a login to the electronic medical record. Other places, it's more on the fly. Like you just show up to the IR suite and you get scrubs somehow and um, you kind of just figure it out as you go. And so you just have to be very flexible and understanding about that because every hospital just works differently. So some other things that were hard for me, I think, are just being on all the time. And we experienced yes. this throughout medical school, like throughout M3 um, and M4, even at home too. But just uh, knowing that you're really being evaluated intensely as a potential future resident. And so it's it's hard. And just establishing that rapport with everyone and um, just making good first impressions and just being 
communicative and it's, it's, it can be hard, but it's total. Once you get past that first day, you're like, okay, I can do this. You know, this is going to be good. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. And I, I don't know if you had this experience, Marina, but I feel like the IR world is so much more familial or like collegial or friendly than other worlds in, in medicine that I interacted with in my third year rotations. <laughs> I know Adam and Eric, I, you're both laughing because you've both been on surgery rotations right. recently. Or yes. early on. But, but yeah, that was my experience for the most part. And what was your experience, Marina, with like the dynamics with other medical students on rotation with you? Was that ever oh. difficult or easy or what, how did you feel? Yes, that's a great question. So let's see. I, uh, on one of my ways, there was a home med med student that had decided later on to be, that he was interested in IR. And so it was just tough because I had already done a full month of IR. So we just came and that was his his very first like week of IR. And so it was, it was just tough because I was very excited, enthusiastic, and I wanted to do a lot because I already kind of knew some of the basics and he was starting off where I was a month earlier. And so just... I, th- I just think it's really important just to be aware of how you present yourself and how you interact with others. You don't want them to feel like you know more than they do because you were just in their shoes. So like yeah. just helping everybody out that you can because you're going to need, you need help too. And so just trying to teach them if they want to learn from you or, or if not, that's totally cool. And just making sure that you coordinate about which rooms that you might want to go in and make sure that they're getting the experience that they want. It's just an, uh, I just, communication really um and understanding your place you know your visiting student they're a home student so just making sure that that it's equal and shared yeah i think that specifically was was uh, an experience that i had as well and that dynamic can be depending on the personalities can be tense or not tense right mm-hmm. and um that that can be difficult right like if there's someone who is like the home person and they want to be like the home person, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, And so you just have to recognize like, you're not, you know, sometimes you might draw the short straw and you have to make the best of it. And that, that's actually where I had a lot of opportunities to do consults is because like when there were only two rooms running and two home medical students that really wanted to be in certain things, I took the preemptive action of just being like, Hey, I'll do consults this week. That's totally fine. When one room was down and that was a different learning experience but a good one, right? So uh, you just have to figure out how to make the best of certain situations um, on the rotation itself. That's a great point, Ben. Like um, there's so many opportunities outside the IR suite to learn and also to spend like one-on-one time with attendings. For example, one of my ways, I was like, you know what? I'm here. I really want to see all the different environments in which these IRs work. So the clinic. So I made sure one one morning I went to Vane Clinic. Um, there was another day where like the IRs rotate doing a community hospital, and so I um, I went out there with one of the IRs. So I got to see more of that uh, community, uh, hospital IR environment. And that was awesome. And I got to do a lot there because it was just me. And then, yeah. So I just think that there's so many, like, if you're ever feeling like I, I, I want more time with attendings, I want to do more, um, think of other places where the IRs go or you could go to. Yeah. You don't always have to be in the nicest, biggest room, seeing the most complex IVC filter removal or, tips or whatever to have a good experience like 
like mm-hmm. you said, there's those smaller things that can give you more one-on-one or intimate opportunities to get to know attendings or also just get to know the field or the patients. Right? Yes. So I think that's true. I love hearing that because part of what draws me to IR is the diversity of, pra- diversity of practice settings that, the, that IR is practicing, right? So mm-hmm. knowing that you can, can get exposure to clinic, that you can get exposure to maybe some more community-based work is, is really encouraging. And that depends on the uh, rotation, though. I will say, like, not all away rotations you're going to have clinic opportunities. Not all away yeah. rotations you're going to have consult opportunities or, like, smaller outpatient procedures like mm-hmm. vein ablations or things like that, right? So, yeah. And that kind of gets into something that I'm sure you guys are going to ask us about, about picking where to go and recognizing that and seeing the differences in what each uh, rotation will be. Yes. I would like to touch on something that we briefly spoke about, and that's just the logistics of planning away rotations. For all of us doing away rotations, it'll we need to find an apartment. We need to know how to get there, know the city. Can you describe mm-hmm. your general approach to that? Oh, man. All right, Marina, I'll let you go first, because <laughs> yours might be a little more straightforward with being oh. <laughs> that region. Yeah, yeah. I was going to say, I'm like, I'm not even qualified to answer <laughs> this. So all of my aways were... Um, where my parents live. So I just stayed with them and I was already familiar with the city at large. So really uh, not any issues for me. But Ben, you're probably a pro. Yeah, I don't know if I'm a pro or just like someone who did crazy things this year. So <laughs> so my first one was very straightforward. Like I mentioned, like I was in Southern California. I was staying at my mom's. I just commute up. She had an extra car. It worked out fine. Like and I took my family with me. So I had that complicating factor, I guess, if that's what you want to call it. <laughs> so that one was fine. because my, my, my wife and kids were like with my mom. They like went to Disneyland. They did fun things, went to the beach, all that stuff. Um, but but that, like, like Narina, my first one was like that. Now, my second one at, in Delaware, I had to put a lot of time and effort into finding a place to stay. I ended up doing an Airbnb. Um, I also brought my family to that one because I didn't really want to be apart from my kids for multiple months at a time. Um, and I actually had, with my schedule, I gave myself a week between each away rotation this summer um, for traveling, because I'm also crazy, and I drove uh, from Michigan to, to Southern California, and then from Southern California back to Michigan, and then Michigan to Delaware. Yes, mm-hmm. I drove thousands of miles with my kids. But now that I've done that, I feel like moving for residency is going to be a cinch, because... At least I only have to go one way. I don't have to go round trip. Um, but uh, so yeah, that was definitely difficult. And like, it takes a lot of planning ahead. And you don't always have a ton of time to know ahead of time, depending on when you get the uh, rotation. Airbnb is a good option. If you are not someone going with more than just yourself, that can be pretty straightforward. Uh, transportation can be difficult if you're going to be trying to fly. I do think that's one benefit of just driving is you have your car, um, if that's possible, and if you have the means, right? Um, and, and that takes time as well in recognizing, okay, do I need a week of like vacation between each to have like a couple days to decompress and also to travel to my next away? Um, and then sometimes at different rotations, they have opportunities of places for you to stay. So uh, Christiana, for example, uh, just to toot that horn, I guess, they have the, they give housing during the week mm-hmm. at a hotel, like they'll pay for that. Um, that's nearby the hospital. I didn't use that because I wasn't going to share a hotel room with some poor medical student mm-hmm. uh, with my family. So, um, you know, that, that doesn't work out as well. So then there's other places where like, there's like 
other residents who have like a room that they rent for a cheap price as well. So that you can find those opportunities is, is what I'm saying. Um, and also a good thing to do is to know like the area you're going to be staying in for your Airbnb. So, uh, where I got my Airbnb in Delaware was like not a great part of Delaware and wasn't close to the hospital, but it was cheap and was like two bedrooms. So I was like, perfect. This will work for my family, but it was like not nice place. And everything was fine though, luckily until the last week where my car was broken into. But that's totally a different story and not necessary for the podcast, but everything worked out okay. No one got hurt. Nothing important was stolen. And they slashed my tire because I didn't have any money or drugs in my car. So um, another important thing for all of this is AAA is very important for away rotations, really for interview season in general, (laughs) I think, or life in general. Um, because having the ability to get towed at any time is good or your um, battery jump-started. So, yes, there's a lot of difficult things. My last away rotation, I did not bring my family uh, because I wasn't going to go back to the West Coast again with them. So I actually flew from Kalamazoo to to L.A. and ended up staying um, nearby and had, like, a car situation figured out. So recognize, like, there's a lot of different ways you can do it. I did it a couple of ways. Some of them don't apply to a lot of students. But I do think, though, in retrospect, like if you have connections in an area, get the exposure where it's going to cost you the least amount of money. Because guess what? Uh, interview season also costs a lot of money. And so, <laughs> so, so like, and, and we'll talk about that in a different podcast. But away rotations can be very expensive. And you might be at a school like mine where like you don't get increases in funding for or loan increases to be able to do away rotations. Um, so you, you, those are things you need to take into account. Um, in doing this. Like, yes, it would be really cool to do array rotations at the quote unquote top three IR places, but like you might not have the financial means to do that. And like, in my mind, would you rather like apply to an interview at a few more places or go on a couple more really cool IR way rotations? To me, I'd rather have the interviews at the end of the day. Wouldn't you agree, Narina? Yeah. Yeah. I, I can't imagine, I mean, how much it costs to do in a way and not be able to stay with family or friends because it was expensive for me just parking. Yeah. Um, so yeah. uh, I can only imagine. Yeah, like for me, my away in, in uh, LA I, was the same price as my rent in Kalamazoo, like just just the rent. So yes, it's expensive. Wow. Um, but these are sacrifices you make. And like, I think that comes off to the places you're rotating at because they recognize you're making sacrifices um, yeah. there, um, as well. So that's my two cents For sure. on that. Does that answer your question, Eric? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, Definitely answered it. Um, and I think, you know, it's good to know that it's just, you know, something to consider before planning all this. And it's something I think that all, like all the residents and fellows have all gone through, even attendings and back in the day. It's just kind of shared experience that we all have. And, and it, it goes as far as all the other things you were talking about, getting acclimated to hospitals and EMRs and getting lost in stairwells, you know, and then the overall theme of, of succeeding on away rotation are, you know, the things that make you successful on any um, away rotation being, you know, very open to not just compromise, but being proactive about just being a positive member of the team, establishing relationships. You know, I think this is all really great information that you guys are providing for us. For sure. Good. <laughs> So one question I have, um, and I've been thinking about it lately as I prepare my own away rotation plans, 
with the change in the IR residency, you know, in the past, obviously, fellows were choosing a fellowship after having been a radiology resident for, you know, four years. Um, and they had the opportunity to do their research, their due diligence, networking with IRs at their own institution, maybe attending RSNA and SIR four or five times um, before choosing a place to do their IR training for one year. Um, so as medical students now applying, especially to the integrated programs, um, and even you know, applying to away rotations as big of an impact as they do have on where you might end up matching, um, learning about things like the job market and you know, um, going into private practice versus academics versus PAD heavy places versus um, you know, really whatever uh, geographical considerations it can be overwhelming to um, try to predict where your life is going to be 10 years from now um, without really having a knowledge of how um, things like that truly work. Um, so can you guys touch on a little bit? Um, I'm sure you've had similar thoughts and, and now that you've experienced it um, one year ahead of us, um, I think it'd be really interesting to hear your take on, on that topic. So. This is a really important question, and I think there's no real right or wrong answer. Um, it, it's a highly personal question, so it really mm-hmm. gets at the core of what are your priorities. Um, like you said, there's location, there's uh, do you want to be in private practice or academia, and a lot of these things maybe you don't know yet. Um, so for me, um, because really now we're in a position where we need to decide what our residency, where we want to do residency and fellowship in one. And so um, that's very hard. So for me, like how I approached it is I really want to be in a place with strong diagnostic radiology because um, I really value the diagnostic aspect. And I feel like being a good diagnostic radiologist is what makes you a good interventional radiologist. And I know realistically, a lot of uh, jobs out there are mixed DR and IR. So having uh, really good DR skills is important for for your future competitiveness in the job market. Networking potential was another thing that I had that I considered uh, when I was looking at programs. So where do I feel like I can get good training? But beyond that, where are the people that graduate from this program? How many people do they train? Um, what is that network available to me after graduating? Um, and really, that can be dependent on where geographically you want to practice or just being at a huge program that pumps out a lot of fellows. So those are all things to consider. And then I think also, you know, I'm really gung-ho about IR, but I think it's also really important to consider ranking DR intermixed with IR in your rank list. Um, You know, we all have different ways of dealing with this and that's very, it's very personal, but I've heard people rank based on institution IR and DR combined, like, you know, institution A, IR, institution A, DR and onward. Um, I've heard people that rank like cluster of IR programs and then DR at those same institutions and then a cluster based on just their preferences. So anyway, all that to say that you you need to love diagnostic radiology to go into IR, I believe. And so ranking those DR programs in alignment with your future goals and really just taking a bet on yourself. Like if you want to be an IR, you're going to be an IR one day. And so focusing on the qualities that you want, not only in an IR training, but in a DR training too, are just important things to consider. For sure. I think uh, when we have our full discussion on on the match and ranking and 
all of that in the next couple of weeks. We'll probably discuss a lot of those ideas again. And, and when looking at a ways, I think it's so hard because, you know, I think Noreen and I are both people that we've had this vision for how we want to practice more or less for a while. And we kind of have some some stronger ideas of what we want to do in some ways, but not everyone does. And I think it's really hard because those ideas, they might change in six years by the end of my last IR year, right? So it's like thinking about those things, Adam, it's really hard to know for sure. And I think the best thing you could do for yourself is to expose yourself to different um, practice types in your away rotations. And I know that's a very like mm. ethereal thing to say, but like depending on what you can do and, and what works for you, I think seeing you know how a more traditional academic center works versus a more of a hybrid private practice center, you know, if you don't have that exposure at your home institution, might be a good idea. So you can sort of get an idea, okay, this is might be what I want for my training. And then recognizing like like your question is definitely looking for you like seven years down the line. Right. Right. But that's okay. I'm not saying there's anything wrong with that, but a lot can change in that time. But all you can control now is what are you going to be exposed to? What opportunities or experiences are you going to have in the next six months? And how will that, you know, six months after that affect where you end up ranking and matching? Right. I think you guys answer the question beautifully. Um, I think the key in what, what you're saying is, and Rena, I really like you saying, you know, if you believe in the end goal that that it's all going to work out and and Ben, like you're saying, you might have, let's say, you know, you have an interest in, um, and I think you are interested in something, correct me if I'm wrong, but you've been interested in PEDS IR a lot and that might be impacting your decision. But, you know, you end up six years later um, thinking you want to do strictly PAD and completely flip it, flipping the script. Um, but either way, you know, it, that at the right time, you'll be making the right decision for yourself and it'll lead to whatever um, career you end up with. Um, but I just wanted to get at, you know, what what kind of thoughts you went into, um, at least at the away rotation stage. And I think that was a great answer, applying to broadly to the different types of practices. Yeah, for sure. I think that's how I felt about it. And it seems like for you, Narina, like your rotations were sort of more uh, varied as well in your exposure. Yeah. Yes, yes, I think so. I mean, um, so yeah, they were very different in terms of the the clinic aspect and then also in terms of the um, community more like they, they just had totally different practices. One was smaller, one was bigger. Um, one, uh, so it, it's just nice to have that variety. For sure. And For sure. all practice settings have their, their strengths, you know, it's just a matter of um, where do you see yourself? Yep. A hundred percent. And you might not know. And, and, you know, that, and that's okay if you don't. And I, I think as, as we do this series of episodes, if people have specific questions for us that, you know, might not be the easiest to answer on a podcast, like definitely feel free to reach out either through the sound of IR email, or you can all like, I'm, I'm very willing to answer any questions via Twitter or, or in other modes if people want to contact me. I think we've touched on a lot of very valuable points and some great advice for students like Adam and I who are trying to plan our fourth year of medical school and and go into it knowing what to expect and how to approach it. With mention with mention of Twitter, I we did the Sound of IR team did reach out uh, to the Twitter community to see what questions they had about 
planning fourth year away rotations and things of the like. And we had a few responses as well as some advice that was was communicated to us in that through that medium. Um, one question we got was from Ty Mattinson, and he said he asked what can be done or what has been done in interest groups at medical schools that has prepared students for IR exposure for rotations and and those kinds of things. Can you guys touch on that? Sure. So early exposure is really the best. Um, and whatever form that may be, whether it be in a symposium or a skill session, um, or even just a presentation with overview of, of IR and different procedures within IR um, is, is the best and, and mentorship. So um, peer mentorship, attending mentorship, just getting people hooked up with the with your um, with your home uh, attendings. Yeah, I agree. Um, and if you don't have, you know, home attending opportunities, uh, SIR has definitely uh, put forth a lot of uh, resources such as the mentor match, um, which I, I mean, I've utilized and has been very helpful. And um, there's always Twitter as mm-hmm. well. <laughs> which, yeah. uh, there's so much to learn there. Like there really is. And, um, and, you know, I'll toot our horn and say, hopefully the podcast is something that can help <laughs> medical students be prepared for away rotations as well. Absolutely. Yeah. Conferences, uh, don't conferences. I, I, yes. conferences. I, yes. I really feel like conferences. I mean, like that's how Ben and I met. That's how yep. I, um, I've uh, met other attendings at different institutions. Conferences are so important for your own personal professional development, and also to learn about the field and get connected, networking. Um, it's it's really. I feel like it's really changed my path. Hundred <laughs> percent. I think like obviously, if you can make it to SIR every year, cool. But like regional symposia in your area and also in other areas um, can give you a lot of opportunities. I, at least of the symposia I've been to, like the biggest one I've been to that's regional, just to shout it out, is the is the Midwestern uh, MERS uh, in Chicago. Yes. Um, so definitely recommend that one if you can make it to Chicago or any ones that are close to you as well. Yeah, that one was, I went to that one last year mm-hmm. and it was really good. There were a lot of, there were, I think there were four or five program directors there as well as a handful of medical students all interested in IR. It was great. And there's so many regional ones now too, um, you know, in, in almost every area, which is fantastic. Well, Ben and Narina, it's been a real pleasure to talk with you, to learn from you and your experience in, in fourth year. Um, can't thank you enough for taking this time to be on the sound of IR, to flip roles here and be an interviewee. It's been really fun. Yeah. Uh, thanks for having us guys. It's been definitely a different experience and, and a lot of fun. I know Narina, Narina and I are so excited for you guys to go through this process. I wouldn't want to do it again, other than my, <laughs> other than my IR months. I really enjoyed those. Um, but it's a lot of work, but I promise there's an end to it. Thank you guys for being such great hosts, Eric and Adam. It's uh, I, I remember being in your shoes, it feels like yesterday, and I was so anxious about the future. Um, and there's really no predicting, but everything will fall into place and you guys are going to be very successful. So just knowing that is uh, really all that matters. So. That's awesome. Yeah, I just want to echo what Eric said. Thank you guys so much for your expertise, the positivity that, that is uh, happening here is really great. Um, yeah, looking forward to this year um, armed with this knowledge now. And I hope that the listeners, uh, I'm sure they do feel the same way. Thank you guys so much. It's a blast. Thanks, guys. That's it for this episode. Please keep an eye out for our upcoming episodes this season, where we'll be discussing interventional radiology, interview trail, um, and other pertinent topics to fourth-year medical students. 
um, as well as we'll be continuing our series on the different IR procedures and conditions that we treat. If you have any questions or feedback, we would really love to hear from you. And if you're a practicing IR who'd like to get involved with the podcast, please contact us at our email address, the sound of IR, all one word, at gmail.com. The Sound of IR team is also very active on Twitter. You can follow us at the underscore sound underscore of underscore IR. If you enjoyed this episode, please feel free to leave us a rating and review on Apple Podcasts or any of your favorite podcast apps. See you next time.